Live. Live from This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. Oh, he broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest, latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast, which is New York Sports Talk and Long Suffering Fan. Your host, Mike Phillips. I got a good show for you this week. We are going to continue looking at the world of baseball here. I mean, two New York teams, as of recording on Sunday night, I'm going to take a peek at the stands here. I believe they both still have the best record in their leagues. I will confirm that for you in just a second. They do. I'm going to be joined in just a minute by Anthony McCarron from SNY. Talk all about the Mets and the Yankees. I spoke to Anthony in the middle of last week, so we'll talk before the Astros series and the Marlins series. So we will catch up with him, get some takes on the season for both these teams. That's coming up in just a bit. Make sure you stay tuned at the end of the show. I'll give you a little bit of preview of Wimbledon. That is beginning today as of date of the podcast dropping in your feed. So I'll give you what to watch for over the fortnight here. If you like what you hear on the Justin the Suffering podcast, feel free to subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Tune in, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, Google Play, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just End the Suffering, your favorite podcast platform, and follow episodes there. Feel free to your feedback and stories as well with the podcast, even better going forward. So check out the YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube. You can see the video version of the conversation with Anthony McCarron on the YouTube channel. Again, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Without any further ado, we're going to go to our opening tip here. We're going to talk about the NBA draft and why the Knicks... Continue to show they have no clue what they're doing right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. All right, opening tip time. Reflecting on the NBA draft happened last Thursday. The big names at the top, I mean, there was a little surprise when you saw that Paolo Bancaro went number one overall, who Tom Bacchino from the Sorry Sports podcast last week was hyping up. He went number one to Orlando. A little surprise, but made sense. I mean, Chet Holmgren went two to Oklahoma City, as we predicted. Jabari Smith went three. Apart from that, not much intrigue at the top here. From the local perspective, though, you want to keep an eye on the Knicks and the Nets. The Nets didn't have a pick. The Nets, though, have the situation going on with Kyrie Irving. We talked a little bit about this last week on the podcast where we said, you know what? Why are they being playing horrible with him? It sounds like right now they are entertaining, possibly letting him explore signing trades, which is a complete and utter disaster that happens because if Kyrie goes, Kevin Durant's not sticking around by himself. He's not signing up to play for Ben Simmons and whoever other scrubs they have there, so. If Kyrie goes, Katie's gone with him, which means the net big three era blew up in their faces. So you hope you're a net fan that this is leverage and they're just trying to get Kyrie down a couple of bucks. Kyrie has said he wants to stay. It's the Nets right now are playing horrible, which I do not understand. I get he's difficult, but you made your bet at this point. You have to lay in it because when you have one of the five best players in the league, you keep him happy. He wants to play with Kyrie, get it done. Not much else happening here. And then there are the Knicks, who were sitting at the 11th pick in the draft. Not thrilled with their options here. They end up trading out of the pick. They send it to Oklahoma City for three future first-rounders, which on its surface sounds good because, okay, assets. 
You're trying to retain your firepower to trade for a star. Then you see this convoluted trade they make later on where they are basically trading one of the picks they get from Oklahoma City to Charlotte for their transfer price to Jalen Duran, who Tom McKeel, as you was saying, the Knicks should keep for themselves. They flipped in Detroit with four second-round picks and got off of Kemba Walker's $9 million salary. All told, they leave the draft basically with three extra picks in the first round over the coming years. They picked Trevor Keels from Duke in the second round, which, again, I don't think he's going to be a big factor this year. The plan here, and I put plan in air quotes because I don't think there actually is one. It seems like right now they're just trying to clear cap space to make a run at overpaying Jalen Brunson to be their point guard, which that gets you a whole lot of nothing. Is he better than what they have at the point? Yes, but if you weren't paying Jalen Brunson the max if you're the Knicks, no. I mean, how much better are you, are you getting at this point? They were the 11th best team in the East last year. They couldn't even make the plan. Your upside with Jalen Brunson and RJ and Randall and quickly and Toppin is probably, you know, high end of the plan. Maybe you get the sixth seed. Is that what you want here? No. I mean, doing all this to overpay Jalen Brunson makes no sense. And you also are getting nothing out of Leon Rosie in the front office. And they sent out a statement saying, oh, you know, we have all these picks. We're going to have cap space. We're going to be in trades. We're going to be in free agency. No, no, no. Leon Rose has not spoken to the media since before last season. He has not spoken to them afterwards. He didn't address the trade deadline. The reports out there that they had an opportunity to move off a couple of salaries and get a draft take back. They chose not to do that. Leon Rose is hiding in his bunker somewhere at MSG and does not speak to the media. And if you're a Knicks fan, why would you have any faith this front office can get anything correct here? They had to give up four second-round picks and the rights to Jalen Duran, who they had to trade for, to get off of one of the bad contracts I left last season. And they still have bad contracts. I mean, Nerlens Noel's money is not good. Evan Fournier is not fit this team. His contract is not good. You have the Julius Randle extension disaster. They're stuck with that for four years. It just, it just kicked in now. How am I supposed to believe as a, as a Nick fan here? And there's a lot of apathy now for the Nick fans who just don't trust this organization to actually do this correctly. The four seed two years ago was a fluke. Because of the COVID year, the Thibodeau bump, they were playing hard every night. A lot of the other teams were not. They were playing in front of half-empty arenas. Took advantage of that. Got a paper force. They were exposed to the Hawks. The Knicks decided, you know, we're going to run it back with Evan Fournier and Kemba Walker. That worked out fantastically for them. This front office does not know what it's doing. It's getting basically carte blanche to do whatever it wants. This is not going to end well. It's a problem. I would not be confident all from a Nick fan. I'm a net fan. I'm also very nervous. So the state of basketball in this town is not very good. And with that, I'm going to take it to our conversation with Anthony McCarron from SNY. And again, it's my buddy. We talked to him last week before the start of the Astro series for the Yankees, before the start of the Marlins series for the Mets. So a couple of things here. I think nobody we talked about Max Scherzer potentially coming back on one rehab start. He did not do that. He's going to make another rehab start tomorrow for Binghamton and Hartford. Maybe he's back next weekend. But we're going to talk to Anthony McCarron right after this. 
All right, I am back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast, talking New York baseball. They a great friend of the podcast. You see him on SNY covering the New York teams. Anthony McCarron is back with us. Anthony, how are you? I'm good. How you doing, Mike? Doing pretty good. And obviously, everybody knows that you have been doing the baseball for SNY for a bit, worked for years to come before that. But you also recently got to do a little hockey. It was like covering the Rangers for SNY. <laughs> you know, it was great. Uh, I, I really had a blast with it. Um, I, I, I go goes back to my roots a little bit because my first pro beat when I worked at the Daily News was the late 1990s Islanders, actually, which was a good way to get my feet wet uh, in covering pro sports. Uh, wasn't a great team, that's for sure. They were awful and there was more sort of off the ice stuff than there was on the ice interest in, in the Islanders. Um, but it was, uh, you know, I always liked hockey. Um, you know, it's not my first love like baseball, but but I always enjoyed covering it. And it was really, you know, SNY asked me if I was interested in doing some stuff uh, on the on the Rangers playoff run. And it sort of, you know, built up into this big thing as they kept going and going. And they were really, you know, they obviously played great and the city was uh, really into the run. And so it was great. I got to do, you know, I covered the games uh, for the website, writing stories and columns. And then I also got to do some TV stuff for them uh on the on the rangers as well and it was just it was great i mean i even got to do uh one of my favorite things that i got to do was i interviewed somebody uh vince mercogliano from uh lohud and and usa today sports uh sny was using him as kind of a guy to talk to live at the events and i actually did like the interview once where i you know was yep. the the talking head there and and um on site at the garden we did that a couple times together i had never done that before and it was great to get that experience it was really cool I'm sure there was a moment, too, I think, especially in that series in Game 3, when they're up 2 nothing, they have 2 lead in the series. I'm sure probably thinking, like, man, we have to cover a Stanley Cup final here with this. It's going to be pretty cool. Yes, absolutely. In fact, I was going to get to go to Denver, uh, you know, for uh, <laughs> for the first two games, uh, had they advanced to the final, which would have been a gas, uh, obviously. Um, you know, it wasn't meant to be, but look, I mean... The Rangers are young and super talented. Uh, you know, I think they have more of this in them. I mean, of course every chance that you get in pro sports like this is precious in terms of advancing in the in the playoffs and all that sort of stuff you never you know you, you have no guarantees of getting back there again but I, I love the rangers chances with all that youthful talent there and they seem to have smart guys uh running the show so uh you know the future is bright for rangers fans i think absolutely it's also a very bright future for the baseball teams right now as both of them are doing very well and i mean before we get in deeper into the locals here, like what are your general thoughts on like this season we've seen as a whole? Because obviously we had the little bit of the delayed start with the prolonged lockout. We had the mad scramble in spring training, signing free agents, everybody up to speed. What do you think we've seen of the baseball so far? Well, uh, you know, I mean, the New York teams have sort of taken over, uh, you know, and it's it's just it's interesting to see that. And, and you know, the, the Dodgers have had a little bit more competition in the West than I think some people envisioned. I mean, I certainly didn't think that the Padres would grab first place from them, uh, uh, you know, as they did, or I guess, earlier this week or over the weekend. And, you know, now the Dodgers are back in first place, but uh, or at least by percentage points. And. You know, so there's kind of a writing of the ship there. But look, it's been it's been a good season so far. You know, Aaron Judge has kind of taken over the individual part of it. Uh, you know, thank goodness Mike Trout is healthy. Uh, you know, Shohei Otani hasn't been what he was last year, but he's still a thrilling marvel every time he steps on a baseball field. 
you know, there's a lot to like with what's going on. I think the Braves have gotten themselves together. And I think the, you know, Ronald Acuna coming back has really been a, a boost as he gets himself, you know, used to the rigors of a, a playing every day. And I think they've really taken some inspiration from that. And, you know, it's hard to it's hard to kill off these defending World Series champions sometimes. And I think that there were Met fans who were like, oh, the Braves are dead. And, you know, that's not you know, that's going to be a summer long saga, I think, in, in the East, you know, even with the, the Mets playing as well as they have, um, you know, something that I think that we're going to probably have to keep an eye on during the season is just, pit, you know, pitcher injuries are always such a, an enormous factor. And they've obviously already taken a toll in some places, um, you know, but at the abbreviated spring training, you know, were, were guys ready? Is that going to make them more susceptible? What's the you know, what are the reverberations from the COVID seasons and, and everything that happened uh, there with the with the different ramp ups and the, you know, the schedules, all that stuff. How is that going to impact pennant races? This is all uh, to come, obviously. It is to come here. Get to the Mets in a minute. And now I'll start the Yankee here because obviously they're off season. They, they made some interesting choices here. And there was a lot of, I want to say skepticism at the start of the year about whether these moves would pay off. And can you imagine if we had this conversation about two and a half months ago and I told you, Anthony, they're good, the Yankees are going to be 50 and 18 on June 22nd. <laughs> they're going to be leading the A at least by 12 games and they're going to be in the driver's seat at the best record in the league. Like, what would you have thought if I told you that then? Uh, that you were nuts, frankly, because <laughs> I thought, you know, look, I've, I've believed in the Yankees every year, not that they're going to win the World Series or, or anything like that, but that they were going to be in the tournament at the end of the year. And and that's the that's all I was thinking or expecting for them this year, too, that they would be around. I mean, the, the AL East is incredibly treacherous. Uh, there's obviously there's four good teams in that division, uh, you know, and the Orioles at some point, the Orioles will get there and, and be bad, but they're better this year, I think, than they have been obviously in the past. So, you know, there was all these sort of landmines around uh, in the division and the Yankees have just blown everyone away. They've just crushed everything. You know, they're they're the best at hitting. They're the best at pitching. They're one of the best at fielding. It's crazy what they've done. And I, I never would have believed it. You know, I guess they got some addition by subtraction by making the Gary Sanchez, Gio Urshela trade because the I feel like the Sanchez saga was always looming over the team, you know, the the angst over him catching and his defense and he wasn't hitting like he used to. And, uh, you know, I think they obviously or honestly, they made it uh, some smart moves, even though all of us really expected them to sign a blockbuster shortstop uh, uh, free agent and, and do something like that, you know, more to the Yankee DNA. And they fixed holes in other ways, and they're getting incredible performance from a bunch of people now. Uh, and it's just been a remarkable season, a, an historic season so far. I mean, we'll see where it goes, but woo, it's been something. Certainly has. I mean, like, you look at the records here. I mean, they're basically on pace for, like, what the 98 Yankees are doing, which is incredible. That team's one of the best I've ever seen. Is there a comparison you can make with this team compared to some you've seen, some Yankee or some team in general you've seen over the past, like, 20, 30 years? I mean, I think that the 98 Yankees is the best comp right now. Of course, it, it's it, intellectually, it's sort of hard to put them on that level because we know what the 98 Yankees did and what they accomplished and what their end game turned into. We don't know what this team is going to do, if they can do it. You know, there's the, the, the playoffs are, you know, I believe, I, I agree with Brian Cashman that the playoffs are a crapshoot in some ways because of the short series. You don't because you're a dominant team in the regular season does not guarantee that you are going to win the World Series and get through that many different series, uh, playoff series along the way against other good teams. Um, but uh, look, the 98 Yankees were great at everything. 
And these Yankees are pretty much great at everything. I mean, they're even, I wrote this down because I found this, this stat is always interesting to me. They're tied for eighth in stolen bases, uh, you know, and, and this is not really, you know, part of the Yankee game and, you know, but, but it is this year, like they're getting stuff done on the bases if they need to. And that goes together with all the, I mean, like the, the other stats, I mean, they're, you know, they, they average the most runs, they give up the fewest runs and it's just, it's, it's crazy what they've been able to do. Their bullpen is terrific. Their starting staff has been better than anybody expected. I mean, we, we obviously expected Garrett Cole to be good, uh, you know, and he has been, but you know, through mu- much of the season, he's had like the worst ERA of the five starters, which is crazy because he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously they're doing a lot of good things. The pitching has been incredible. Their ERA is like, I think about like half a rumble of the league average last I saw, it, which is absurd here. And obviously like the pace they're on seems like historically unsustainable because like at the rate they're going, it's not that they went about 125 games, which I don't think they're going to do here. But like in terms of that, in terms of the pitching, I would worry specifically about like, you know, a lot of these guys at the innings because Severino has not has barely pitched the last three years. Is there big inning jumps of guys like Cortez and Tyon's had injury issues? Like, are you worried that at some point this is not sustainable and they're going to have some sort of like mini slump before they can fix themselves? Well, look, I mean, they're on, you know, they're on a record pace, right? I mean, I, I can't, I don't know what the pace is off the top of my head, but I mean, they are in that conversation for 114, 115, 116, whatever it would be wins, which is, you know, not done by many clubs. So is that part sustainable? You'd have to say no, just based on historical precedent, uh, you know, based on the, on the talent they have on the roster and the way it's performing right this second, you know, it's hard not to get starry eyed. Um, but you're right about the innings limits. That's a big concern uh, going forward. Uh, you know, th- how much uh, impact is that going to have on a guy like Severino as we get deep? And you're, you know, you're, you're, you're thinking, you're handicapping if you're the Yankees, we need this guy in October. You know, I mean, I think their October entry is almost assured at this point, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, so you've got to think, uh, do we want, you know, record pace and 98 comparisons going forward? Uh, and pitch him in that regard? Or do we want like, hey, you know, we would love to have Sebi throwing on October 22nd in game six of the ALCS or whatever it is. And, um, you know, so that that impacts him. That impacts Nestor Cortez, who has been such a phenomenal story this year with the way he has bloomed into uh, an ace level starter, uh, you know, Tuesday night notwithstanding. Um, and Look, there's so they've got some issues, like even though they look perfect and I feel like any sort of ro- roster, you know, concerns we might have going down the line is really nitpicking. There are those things with the pitching that 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 could loom. And look, the end game for them is 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 October is the World Series is thriving. Then will they you know, they'll get there. Will they be able to finish the deal? I mean, we'll we'll, we'll see and it'll be entertaining along the way. Yeah, for sure. And obviously the, the biggest key, I think, besides the pitchers and Aaron Judge, and he obviously made the big control decision to turn down that $230 million contract. And he said, I can bet on myself. I can have a great year. And so far he has. How much do you think he's made himself over the course of this season? Look, I, you know, that there's obviously it's much discussed what the Yankees offered and the Yankees put it out there on the table, which was an interesting move, um, you know, what the contract was. And I think Aaron Judge was right to turn it down. I think the, the Yankees made him an offer that was basically – enough to make a large section of their fans say like, yeah, that was a good offer. You know, hey, he should take that. It's a lot of money. Yeah. And but it wasn't an, it wasn't representative of what Aaron Judge should have been offered to me anyway, because at this point in time, 
he should have gotten the contract offer that started at $35 million a year. I mean, Anthony Rendon, who signed his contract a couple years ago, that's his average annual value. And Judge is a better player than he is. And and I, I think that he, he, I don't know if he needed, if Judge needs to be the highest paid guy in the game. I'm not sure that that's the case. But I think he needs to be in that in that realm and they didn't offer him a deal in, in in that realm even though it was lucrative and we would all love to have a 200 plus million dollar contract yada yada uh it's interesting that he bet on himself he's wrecking the league right now um and we'll see what he gets afterward but you know once he gets to free agency the yankees lose an incredible amount of control over his future and you know who knows what some other team will do to, to get his services. And I understand his, he's 30 years old already. I get it. He's had some injuries in the past. When he's healthy, I mean, he is, you know, one of the faces of baseball. And, you know, the judges' chamber, I can't envision, like, the Yankee, Yankee Stadium without the judges' chambers, without, he's their sort of Jeter-like guy right now. And I, I, I can't believe they wouldn't retain him. But once he hits the market, all bets are off. Who knows what could happen? Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of the market, they're going to be on the trade market this uh, summer look for upgrades here. I mean, it feels like the outfield is the obvious spot because you have the underperformance relatively of Aaron Hicks and Joey, and Joey Gallo out there. Is there anything else you could see them really looking for besides an outfielder? Well, I mean, a word about Hicks and Gallo. Uh, first, um, I, you know, Hicks has gotten it together a little bit in, uh, in June, which is impressive. Uh, you know, I mean, he had a long layoff and, and, and maybe – you know, I don't know if they'll look to replace him so quickly just because they've got a lot invested in him uh, going forward as well as just this year. And he does seem to be coming around. Joey Gallo is kind of hard to explain. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I get I get it with him and and uh, I know fans are really, really frustrated uh, with Joey Gallo. Um, there's a lot of power there. There's a lot of really good defense there. Uh, I know there's a lot of swing and miss, um, you know, but baseball is a swing and miss sport. He's, of course, the, the biggest swing and misser, but I, I get it. And I feel like if Yankee fans are complaining about Joey Gallo when they're 50 and 18, life is good in pinstripes, right? So, look, do they need to make an enormous move to replace people in the outfield because the outfield is terrible and it's killing the team? No, I don't, I don't agree with that. Um, and I would, I would be wary of them sacrificing young talent to do so. I mean, could they could they sign Brett Gardner? I feel like he's all he's sort of circling out there as always as a potential uh, help in the outfield. Um, you could complain a little bit, I guess, about the catching, but that's also nitpicking to me because those guys have uh, Higashioka and Jose Trevino have run a staff that's performing great. Higashioka can run into one every now and then. Trevino has done some stuff on offense. And if you have Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, uh, a rejuvenated Glaber Torres, et cetera, et cetera, uh, Anthony Rizzo, do you really need to get, you know, Jorge Posada level offense from catcher? No, you don't. Uh, the other stuff's more important probably. So to me, you know, patching up the pitching staff, you know, to maybe address the innings limits or the innings issues that may arise. That could be another area to me. Um, you know, good bullpen arms are always useful and usable, uh, even though they've got uh, they've got a lot. They have a lot of depth. They've done a great job of developing pitching uh, recently. So they have replacements who can come up and have gone up and down from the minors to, to make an impact. I don't see this as a huge, like, Yankee trading deadline where – you know, some team is is 
giving up their number one player, uh, and the the Yankees are hovering over that because they're they're so desperate for a boost. Um, I'm not sure that this is that trade deadline, but there may be patches here and there. Yeah, let's go to the other side of town here for a minute for the Mets because I mean, as surprising as you were that the Yankees were be the, had the best record in the league at this point. Like, have you ever seen the scenario where the Mets have the best record in the National League at this point in June? No, no way. Uh, I thought the Braves were clearly the finest team in the division still, and I thought the the Mets were going to be a very competitive squad for a wild card spot. And you know, there's nothing wrong with that. They they made some really good additions. We didn't know what they were going to be like. You know, the 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 ads. I mean, we know what Max Scherzer is going to be like when he's healthy. Um, a, a tremendous first ballot Hall of Fame pitcher. Uh, you know, but. Uh, Mark Canna, Starling Marte, uh, Escobar, those guys are really good players. You know, they have a little age on them too, just like Scherzer does. But uh, they have all performed, I, th- I think, I mean, some of their numbers aren't phenomenal, but they've all performed pretty well for a team. And I think that they have added a, a, a jolt of, of sort of veteran professionalism that has helped that clubhouse. Because there are a lot of good young players on that team, uh, talented guys, and I think that they have boosted them, you know, in the in a behind-the-scenes manner as well as on the field. Look, I mean, you know, when healthy, their rotation is spectacular. Um, I think they're shy in the bullpen now. I thought they were shy in the bullpen going into the season, and uh, you know, they may take they may take some hits because of it. Uh, they they need to. We'll get to this later, I know, but we they need to make some additions in the bullpen uh, before the trade deadline. Um, but yeah, I mean they they've performed spectacularly, and I love their style of play. You know, a lot of putting the ball in play, um, and, and you know, doing different things, which is which is great. It's refreshing to see that in the launch angle era, where so many teams are just trying for the three run homer. And, you know, the Mets are, 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 you know, hitting singles and beating, you know, Jeff McNeil. I enjoy watching him beat the shift on an almost nightly basis because, you know, the shift is driving a lot of people in baseball crazy. And Jeff is like, oh, yeah, you're going to shift me. Bing. There's a base <laughs> hit to left field. So um, they were they're a very entertaining bunch. Edwin Diaz has been phenomenal for them. Um, he might be the best relief pitcher in baseball right now. Maybe not named Josh Hader, but uh, he's spectacular. And his stuff is so good that it's an event when he comes into the game. And, and you know, I was at the game on Saturday uh, watching in the stands and um, he came in and, you know, boom, 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 101. It was great. It was, you know, the whole place is going nuts. So it's been a fun season with the Mets, that's for sure. Absolutely has. I do think one of the big credits of this season, I think, is the addition of Buck Showalter as the manager because I feel like this team sort of had a lot of the same sort of, like, bumps in the road the past couple of teams have had. But this team has not fallen apart. They have not had that, like, 3-10 and 10 stretch against the NL West's best teams they did last year. There hasn't been, like, ramp, like fights in the clubhouse. I feel like Buck's done a good job, like, keeping everything in check and doing getting the most out of these guys. I like, think about what Buck has brought to this team. Uh, huge. I really do think it's huge because he give as soon as he like steps up to the podium as a Met hire, he brings a gravitas that no first time manager could possibly bring along with him. No matter. I mean, I think Louis Rojas could possibly be a good manager in the future in, in MLB, but he can't bring that sort of, you know, resume that, you know, Buck doesn't put it out on the table, but everybody knows that it's out there what he's done. And you're right about the part about them not collapsing. They took a significant 
gut shot from the Braves when the Braves went on their, I don't know, 164 game winning streak <laughs> or whatever it was. And, you know, the, the, they got, they gained a lot of ground on the Mets, but the Mets didn't, weren't like, oh my goodness, here come the Braves. You know, what are we going to do? There was none of that. And they went, they were on the West Coast and they played, they played decent baseball on the, on the West Coast. And that's been a black hole for the Mets in, in recent years and past years uh, where they have just gone out there and wilted. And they played some good baseball out there got back home with a 500 record on that trip and it was I think it, I think that was a big deal and look I mean there's not going to be any of the nonsense of the thump there's not going to be any of this uh, by the players to the fans when Buck is in charge that stuff is squashed before it even gets out of the clubhouse door so there's not going to be any of that that the stuff that they had last year those problems you know there's not going to be any Donnie Stevenson nonsense like there was last year, which I thought was really immature and silly by the Mets. Um, you know, he was the fictional hitting coach uh, that they thought, and it was a big chuckle fest, you know, ha ha, Donnie's really working with us. And it's like, okay, what an insult to everybody else who works for the team. That that stuff is, is done, done now. That ain't happening under Buck's watch. And I think that, you know, they've complained a lot about getting hit by pitches during this season, and rightfully so. I mean, they do lead the majors in, in getting plunked. But I think Buck's reaction to all of that was phenomenal, too, because he got so mad. And, you know, you see all those great shots of him, you know, yeah. on the on the dugout <laughs> when they get hit. He's, you know, got those great looks on his face. It's great. Uh, and I think the players have seen all that and they know who's leading them and what he feels about them. And he's demonstrating a certain something there, like a, a managerial camaraderie, if that's even a thing, that they can sort of glom onto and I think it's been you're right he has been a huge impact on that team uh you know he's constantly got them on their toes thinking about baseball nobody's mind is wandering on the bench there because you know Buck is coming over and you know uh, they're they're coming to him and asking him a question second and third two outs what are we going to do you know what what's the move here and so I, I think there's a lot of good going on. Uh, it's it's the Mets should have hired Buck Showalter like six years ago, or or when Terry Collins left, they should have hired him. Oh, I totally agree with you because between that and them changing out some of the guys in the clubhouse or bringing those veteran guys that he brought before, my one of my big complaints last year at them was this whole like oh like everything is great. I compare the team basically living in Candyland when the whole season was falling apart and everybody was, right. was taking it seriously, and now you don't see that anymore. Now you don't see like the ha ha's and like the rats and raccoons stuff like that. That helps. Right. And I lo look, I love Pete Alonso. And I think he, he's a, not only is he a tremendous player, but I think he's a great guy to have on a team. And I love his effervescent personality. But like that whole thing last year when it was, you know, when he was imploring Met fans, don't just believe. No. I mean, that was, I, I don't know, somebody else could have gotten him before. He, <laughs> I don't know. he shouldn't have said that stuff. Nobody bought it. It's just playing into, you know, bad Met fan mojo. And you know they couldn't deliver on it obviously and this year like you say there's there's none of that kind of stuff and the rat and the raccoon you know they're back in their cages and that's a good thing yeah speaking of Pete Alonso, i mean he's been i think probably the most important player on the team this season he leads the national league in rbis i think like the league in rbis as of recording time here and obviously we all know what paul goes is doing in st louis which is absolutely ridiculous here but is alonzo a legitimate mvp candidate in your eyes Yes, uh, I think he is. Um, I don't know if he's going to win the award. That would depend on uh, his slugging percentage, home runs, RBI, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I feel like he's in the conversation. I think he's a top five guy right now. Um, 
you know, it's going to be tough because I think voters consider defense more, maybe more than they ever have um, in, in recent vintage anyway. Uh, and Pete is not an elite defensive first baseman. So he may, you know, that may be a strike against him. I know he's trying and he wants very desperately uh, and dearly to be a gold glove first baseman. And I believe he's working incredibly hard to get to that point. Uh, but, you know, with some of the, the guys, you know, Manny Machado's having a tremendous year. He's obviously an elite third baseman uh, defensively as well. That may impact Pete's candidacy. But look, if he hits 55 home runs, the Mets romp to the NL East title. He hits close to, you know, he hits 290 and, you know, has like a 600 plus slugging percentage. And, and you know, I think he's going to shatter the Met uh, single season record for RBI this year, which I, I think is 124. Uh, I think he's going to crush that. I mean, then who knows what could happen on that ballot? Uh, he, but he is putting up a very, very strong case for himself right now. And, you know, I love the fact that he wants to play first base too, you know, that he everybody was at the beginning of the year, I think we were, a lot of people were forecasting, well, you know, Pete will DH a lot because, you know, he's not as good a first baseman as Dom Smith or whatever, but he wants to play first. I think that impacts his offense and good for him to be a two-way player. And I think he's thriving at the plate in part because he gets to play first so often. Yeah, and the crazy thing about the Mets in general is that they're 20 games over 500. This is basically the B-plus version of the Mets. They got Scherzer for eight stars. They haven't seen DeGrom at all. And they're both on the way back. Scherzer might be back as soon as Sunday. They're going probably right around the All-Star, maybe a little afterwards here. So, like, what is the ceiling here if the Mets can get, get them both back in the rotation, keep them healthy the rest of the way? I mean, the ceiling is winning the World Series with those guys in there because the, what is more terrifying uh, to a team, to an possible opponent, than the idea of facing DeGrom and Scherzer and then, you know, depending on who's doing what at the time, Chris Bassett. Uh, I mean, if that's the first three starters in a playoff series, I mean, that's going to it's going to be a, a tough road for any opponent uh, in any ballpark. You know, Carlos Carrasco, if he's thriving at the time, that's a top four right there. Taiwan Walker has looked great at times. So their ceiling is the sky is the limit for them, assuming that Scherzer and DeGrom are healthy. I mean, I, I look, I hope they don't rush Max Scherzer back. I know he's very close to being ready. Uh, I thought it was weird that before he even made an actual rehab start in a, against a, uh, an opposing minor league team that they were talking about like, oh, yeah, you know, he could be back on Sunday. I thought that was odd. Um, and, and, you know, the Mets, look, I know the whole regime is different. Everything is different about the Mets, right? And who's running it, blah, blah, blah. But it's kind of Mets DNA and Mets karma that handling injuries hasn't been great over the recent years. So... I think more caution is is required with guys like Scherzer because you are thinking end game here more so than, you know, than July. You know, what are you doing in July? Uh, so, look, if he's ready, he's ready and he pitches, that's great. If there's any doubt and, you know, and I know they say Max is a genius about his own body. I get it. Uh, he took himself out of a game when he felt something and it ended up, you know, being a good thing that he didn't try to, you know, pitch through it. But look, they're crushing everybody in the league. There's no reason to rush this guy back. If it takes another week, great. Uh, if it doesn't, that's okay too. And, and you know, as far as the Grom goes, look, I know they keep saying he's coming back. We're coming up on, I mean, we're, we're right about now like 50 weeks since he pitched in a major league game. I, I mean, an entire year is probably going to go by before he pitches <laughs> since the last time he pitched in a major league game. Um, 
Am I convinced 100% that we'll see him? Not really. I'll see, you know, I'll believe it when I see him. Uh, and that's fine. And they, they say he's progressing and he threw to hitters the other day, a great sign. Um, but the, the, the paramount thing with him is getting him right for October again. And if he can be a big factor, if he can be a, a DeGrom-like factor in October, I mean, the sky's the limit for them. There is no stopping them. Yeah, absolutely. And the last thing, obviously, you've mentioned before is that they're, the trade deadline for them is very important for them because we talk about they need help in the bullpen because you figure a couple of the stars are going to end up there in the postseason. They still need to get another couple of guys here. I also think they could use another bat. I know they kind of been saying, like, oh, we're good with what we have, but, like, they're getting basically nothing out of the DH slot in terms of power. They have very little pop in the lap besides Pete Alonso here. Like, I've been arguing all year. I said they need a hitter basically to hit between Pete Alonso and Juan Escobar in the middle of the order here. Do you feel like that's a need they're not really taking into account as much? Um, it, I mean, it's – look, I, I wrote down their uh, – I got to check my notes here. Um, <laughs> they are uh, averaging exactly five runs a game going into uh, Wednesday's play. Uh, which is third in the major leagues. They're one of three teams averaging five runs. I, I understand the look at that lineup and say like, gee, they could, you know, something else could, could come along and would help. And I get it. And it's, you know, we're so used to, you know, pounding home runs. The Mets have, uh, what is it, 66 home runs and the league average is 72 right now. Um, you know, they're not a great slugging team in terms of home runs, but I don't know. I, you know, what are they going to sacrifice? To me, what are they going to sacrifice to get the extra bat? Or is J.D. Davis going to get something going? Or are they going to bring up one of their prospects, you know, Mark Vientos maybe, to, to try to see if they can get a jump start at a DH? I don't know that they need to make some huge move to get a guy in there. Um, I, I think their sort of uh, you know, their versatile uh, roster has – been a benefit for them and, and that they can move guys in and out. Uh, I get it that, that you'd love to have another 30 home run type guy in there. Um, you know, but it, I don't know. I mean, it's like, what else are they doing offensively They're You know, they've, they've got the best on base percentage. They've, they've got the sixth best OPS. I mean, I think if they're going to look, if it becomes a choice between bullpen and a bat, I don't think it's close that the bullpen, the bullpen needs significant help, not just like, oh yeah, let's get another guy, uh, you know, like get, get some sort of Miguel Castro type who, by the way, they never should have traded for a lefty um, uh, to me. Anyway, uh, they need, they need two of those guys. They need a a significant bullpen arm. I mean, you know, Josh Hader, I can't imagine that he's going to be available, but someone like that would really be something more preferable to me than a bat. That's good to know, Anthony. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, how do you follow social media? Keep up with your coverage for SNY. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Anthony McCarron. Um, you can uh, get on the SNY website, and you know that remote. As I like this is my new catch is my new catchphrase when I <laughs> when I promote BNN Baseball Night in New York. That one of the shows that I'm on there. Uh, that remote, it's not going to aim itself. Yeah. So uh, you know, get on TV, watch the shows. I go on that. I go on Geico Sports Night. It's it's great. Uh, it's great fun. Uh, really enjoy doing that doing that stuff, and we we have a good time. Yeah, I already put the remote there quite a bit. I hope the rest of the audience <laughs> does too, Anthony. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Uh, you bet, Mike. Thanks for having me. The two minute drill. All right, two-minute drill time. I want to give you a little bit of a uh, preview here for Wimbledon, the third major of the tennis season. It starts today on day of a podcast recording the 
first rounds underway at the All England Club, it's going to be very eye-wimbled in this year because obviously they've had some very strange impacts from COVID the last few years. They had 2020 canceled. 2021 was pushed back a few weeks. It's back as normal slot here. But there are other reasons it's going to be odd. There are no rankings points tied to the third Grand Slam of the year. The ATP and the WTA both pulled their points from Wimbledon because the All-England Club decided to ban Russian and Belarusian athletes due to the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. I mean, we've seen this in, in team sports. We saw that FIFA banned Russia from the World Cup. Like that, I understand. The individual athletes is a little is much more difficult to sell. And it's not it's not fair to those individual ones, including some who have gone on record and saying the war should not be going on. My opinion was the right call to pull the points. It wouldn't be fair to award the points in an event where everyone who should qualify doesn't have access to Wimbledon. This is not a situation like in Australia where Novak Djokovic knew what he was doing and chose not to get vaccinated and cost himself ranking points. This is something where you have potentially healthy athletes who are just being told, you can't come because you're Russian and we are, do not support the country's war. That's not fair. Novak Djokovic, he's the reigning champion on the men's side. He got to defend his 2,000 ranking points because those all go bye-bye. And no matter what he does here, he's going to win again. He's going to lose that number one ranking, which is going to be very impactful at this point in his career. The ban also decimates some of the top players here. Notably on the men's side, Daniil Medvedev, who won the U.S. Open last year, went to the Australian Open final. He's not here. A lot of the top players on the women's side are not here either. Naomi Osaka withdrew with an injury. Alexander Zverev out with an injury. Roger Federer still working his way back. He's not ready to return at this point. So there's a bit of star power missing from Wimbledon. Who is here, however? There are a lot. I mentioned Djokovic. He's the reigning champion. He has not won a Grand Slam since winning Wimbledon last year. Pressure's going to be on him to get back on the board. All the attention on the men's side, they'll be on Rafael Nadal, who's going to give Wimbledon a go after battling a foot injury, winning his French Open, the, the 22nd Grand Slam of all time. This is going to be the toughest slam for Nadal to win because obviously this is the antithesis of playing on clay, which is his natural surface here. But if he can pull this off while battling his foot injury, it's not fully healed yet. He's been basically very conservative on the, on the tune-ups, trying to get ready here. He's got an excellent shot at the Grand Slam flushing Meadows later this year. This guy is trying to build himself an all-time great case. If he can pull the Grand Slam off after Djokovic has failed at it, this would be a hell of a accomplishment. You've got a couple other interesting players to watch on the men's side. Stefano Sissipas, number four seed. Carlos Alcaraz, we talked about him at Roland Garros, the five seed. We'll see how his game translates to the grass. And Kane Felix Alger Aliasime at number six. The women's side, very wide open. Last year's champion, Ashley Barty, she actually retired from tennis. Number one seat, Iga Swiatek. She's won the last two French Opens, but has not done as well on grass. She hasn't gotten past the fourth round here. The top seeds as a whole do not have much Wimbledon experience. So if you're looking to make some bets, make some plays on this tournament, look a little bit further in the rankings of sleepers here. You have the 17, 18, 19 champs all relatively low here. Garbine Muguruza, the one 2017 is number nine seed. 2018 champ Antley Kerber, the 15 seed. 2019 champ Simona Halep at number 16. So all those three are people I have my eyes on. Also playing Americans, worth watching here. Danielle Collins, Jessica Pagula are both in the top 10. Don't forget Coco Gauff. She went to the role, final role on Garros this year, lost to Swiatek. She has an old success at Wimbledon in the past, making her major debut here and getting to the fourth round for losing. It'll be fun to see if Coco Gauff does a follow-up to the French Open here. On the women's side, the player everybody's watching here is Serena Williams. 
She is making her return to tennis here. It's the first time Williams is playing since she hurt her leg in the last Wimbledon. That took her out of the last three majors. She hasn't played a tournament in a year. They gave her a wild card here. And obviously, the dream for her would be, you know, come back, win that 23rd slam, break the tie with Margaret Court for the most all-time in the, in the open era. Given her experience and talent, you can't count her out. It's going to be very difficult, though, for her to basically go from not playing for a year up to grand level competition and win, but... When it comes to the legends, you can never count them out there in the draw. Regardless, it's going to be a very interesting fortnight at Wimbledon. So I'm excited to see what goes on here. And with that, I want to end this week's show. I want to thank Anthony McCarron for hopping on earlier, giving us a baseball breakdown, a lot of fun stuff there. Why stuff like this podcast, including my look at potential all-stars from the Mets and Yankees. The game is less in less than a month. They both are sending plenty of players out to L.A. in mid-July. Check out the blog over at justinthesuffering.wordpress.com. Also, check out the Sky Guys podcast. like the Star Wars stuff, the Obi-Wan finale recap is out. We have a postseason wrap-up show. It's exclusive to the Sky Guys podcast feed. So, if you want to check that out, go to the Sky Guys feed. We will do that there. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-3-3-1. And that's going to do it for this week's show. Coming up next week on the podcast, we're going to dive deeper into the Mets. We haven't done that yet. We're going to do that. Do some Stranger Things. Volume 2 is coming out. Sandra Rose will be back to break it all down and more. Until then, have a good week, everybody. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.